this morning. As Nina mentioned, uh, we have a guest, uh, Taylor Hendricks, is going to share with us just a few minutes about uh, the Gideons. Please give Taylor a warm welcome. He's been here before. Aisha was with three of her friends at a very large river in India. And they were celebrating because of some special school event, but they were too close, and a giant storm came up, and it washed Aisha and her friends into that giant river. Her Hindu father prayed, but several days later, he was informed that they'd found the bodies of the young women. A terrible thing. But while the father and mother were cleaning out the room of Asia, they came across a journal. They didn't even know she was keeping it. And in the journal, it said this. It said, I would give my life if my mother and father would become Christians because I have become a Christian, but I'm afraid to tell them because they are Hindu. Well, that mother and father found that small little testament, one like this, that she had received in a school. And they became Christians, and then... They thought about it and said, well, how can we honor our Father and honor the Lord that we've accepted? And what they did is they had a brochure printed up. Thousands and thousands of copies were distributed in India. And people estimate that hundreds of people became Christian because of that brochure. One little Bible, one little 12-year-old girl. And that's what happened. Ruth... Ruth was a lady in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and she owned a home, but she was having a terrible problem with it. She had a real bad roof damage. She had a big leak. Rains came, and it flooded part of the house. Well, and then to top that all, somebody stole things from the house. They broke in while she was away. And not only that, but she was dealing with a son who had a lot of depression, she had really had it. Well, one day she was traveling, and she stopped at a motel, and she had a bottle of sleeping pills. And she was going to take those sleeping pills and end her life and get rid of all those problems. But you know what she did? I think like Philippians 4.13, she said, I can do all things through Christ. All things through Christ would strengthen me. And she discovered a Gideon Bible there and read it and gave her life to Christ and started living for him. And she wrote the Gideons later on, not only that, not only did I have no more fear, the Lord is with me, have no more fear. But not only that, I've survived cancer three times and I'm doing well. Praise the Lord for her. Yeah. Well, just to let you know a little bit about what our camp, we're, we're called camps, I don't know why, but that's what we're called. But our camp is doing here in Santa Fe. We have Santa Fe, and we have Las Vegas and Pecos. We try to check the Bibles out in the hotels. It's about 5,000 rooms we check out once a year. We don't necessarily get all of them, but we try to get all of them. Uh, we distribute from the sidewalk at the middle school, because that's the only way we can do it legally. And uh, we were distributing 
Bible's actually on the campus of Santa Fe High and Capitol High to the graduating seniors as they were practicing. We did that for years. Guess what? Two years ago, we got shut off. They wrote us a kind letter and said, sorry, but that doesn't fit with our rules and regulations. Well, so we decided, are we going to just stop on the high school? Said, no. If you're stopped somewhere, go another direction and go greater. So what we did is we started distributing from the sidewalk to them. And in addition, we said, let's do Las Vegas too. Two more high schools there and also do Pecos. So we started doing that. We've, in addition, we started distributing Bibles in, uh, at the fairgrounds, the county fair here. So we've started some new ministries. Now, we, we haven't done the jails for a while, but we want to get back. We're a little short on funds for that, but we will, get, we will get that done, I guarantee you. We'll get it done over time. Now, there's several ways that you can help us. Keep us in prayer. We need prayer. Please keep us in your prayers. Remember the Gideon ministry. You know, the only purpose of the Gideon ministry is to win people to Jesus Christ. That's it. it. We have a real simple plan. That's it. So keep us in prayer. Another way is that we, and I'm going to say desperately, we desperately need new members. And really, we're not as hard to get along with as you think. You know, we're, we're, we're not that bad. And by the way, you don't have to spend every hour of your day with the Gideons. You know what? We have Gideons all the way from those that can't do Hardly anything over here, all the way to a hundred percenter. I only know of one God consider a hundred percenter. I'm not one of those, but we've got people that do a little bit. Some do a little more, a little bit more. But we need we need those, and a lot of people are eligible. I bet there are several of you here that are eligible. If you're any kind of a licensed person, such as an engineer, architect, or anything that requires a license, you're eligible. If you're a college graduate, you're eligible. But another big group that people don't think about, if you're a supervisor and supervise two or more people, you're eligible. A supervisor at the city or the county or the state or a nonprofit, some of those. So please pray about that. Think about that. We need additional members to help us in the ministry. We don't want it to die here in Santa Fe. We distribute in 190 countries, and all of those have camps in those countries. And we do it in... 80 different languages. Another way you can help us is financially. And we'll be taking up an offering at the end of the service. I'll have an open Bible, and there are going to be, uh, I think, a couple of your men that are also helping there. And so that is one way. Another thing is we have a getting card program. And uh, I, th- I think you're, I, ha- I put these in the rack, but I haven't been by for a long time, so I think that I need to add some. But these are ways that you can send money to the Gideons, but you can send a card to your friends, say you're thinking of them, or you remember somebody who passed away, you sent to the family. Uh, they had a birthday. They had a, oh, I had a birthday this morning. Okay, good. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> so, or somebody's graduated, somebody's retired, somebody's got a promotion, all kinds of things, and you can contribute to the Gideons. Now, these little New Testaments cost $1.30. And the Bible uh, that I have here that we put in the motels uh, is $5. Mostly what we do are the little New Testaments in a variety of forms and colors and everything. You know, if you give 13 cents, we appreciate it. It costs $1.30. If you give $1.30, there might be somebody here that says, wait a minute, I want to buy a whole box, 130 bucks. Well, you can really 
you know you can really help a lot of children and adults around the world when you do any kind of, of uh, money to the Gideons. There's a, a lady I want to tell you about. Her name was Carol. Oh, by the way, before I forget it, I forget this sometimes. One thing I love about the Gideon ministry is 100% of what you give, whether it's here or out on the sidewalk or, or wherever, 100% goes to the purchase and distribution of Bibles. You pay nothing for administration cost. We pay that as Gideons. So I think it's wonderful the Gideons can do that. Carol from Michigan. Now, Carol from Michigan, she was a Jewish lady. And she was a little concerned about her life. But she didn't know exactly what to do. But anyway, she was in a doctor's office one day. And she never read the New Testament, but there was a Bible there. So she picked it up while she's waiting, and she started reading it. Well, I guess she got curious. And so she got a Bible, and she talked her husband into going to church. And they attended regularly. And... The pastor there led her to Jesus. Now, the Gideon started it. The pastor's the one that finished it and did it. And that's one thing. Anybody that is one to the Lord in the Gideon ministry, we recommend that they immediately start attending a local church. We want them to do that. You know, it's been wonderful to be here again. And uh, Pastor Ron and Frank and the congregation, I want to thank you for allowing me this opportunity to be here today. I really enjoy being here. Thank you. You asked for prayer, so we want to pray for you. Amen. Thank right, you. Right now, we want to pray for you. So let's we're going to lay some hands on you and pray for you, brother. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to lift up Taylor to you. We, we thank you so much, Lord, for his service to the Gideon and uh, just his service to expand your kingdom, Heavenly Father. We ask that you'd touch the hearts where they would be able to, to give and to expand uh, this ministry, the Gideon ministry, through Taylor and just through here, the light, Lord God. We just speak blessing into Taylor's life, and we thank you for sending him today. We pray over him and bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to, uh, as Taylor mentioned, right at the end of the service, uh, he'll be standing at those back doors with some of our deacons. And if you feel uh, led, and I hope you do, uh, just uh, stick some money in his Bible or, or in the offering plate, and we'll make sure that they get it. <clears throat> uh, come up just for a second, if you would. All right, so, uh, well, what you, uh... <laughs> Jacob, slide number three there, guy. All right. Oh, my gosh. All right. That was 40, 44 years ago yesterday, we were standing on the side of Hyde Park. We were so anti-church that we wouldn't go to church, and so... Uh, we had a missionary, uh, Bob Baker was his name. Taylor, you probably know Bob Baker. And uh, he, uh, he married uh, Nina and I. Uh, she said life has been full of challenges. <laughs> Sometimes she calls me challenges. <laughs> but uh, it's been a great 44 years. 
I had uh, yesterday um, Steve, uh, uh, Steve and uh, Lauren, uh, Lauren Cordova and Steve Becerra uh, were married on our anniversary, and I had the opportunity to do that. Uh, are they here this morning? Oh, honeymooning. All right. Well, we wish them the best. So uh, because we didn't have announcements, let me give you a couple of uh, just a little heads up. You know, we've been showing the Billy Graham, uh, My Hope, My Hope for America series. We did that through the summer. I think we showed three of those video series. Uh, they're coming out with a new one in September or this November. On November the 23rd, uh, you guys that were here in the summer for our picnics, uh, we showed the movie, and then we had a meal. So um, not this next coming week, but the following week, it's November the 23rd, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we will be showing the final video in that series. It's called Heaven. And I really want you to come. I want you to mark your calendars and make yourself some mental notes. Invite friends and families. This is a great opportunity for your friends and your families to come and hear a gospel message by Billy Graham about heaven. And then following that video, we'll have a Thanksgiving meal in the cafeteria. And again, want you to all to come and bring your friends, bring your family, be a part of that. Um, tomorrow night, we've got Christians United for Israel. Um, we've got um, one of the, the majors that I actually met when I was in Israel in August that spoke to our group, to the 51 pastors that went there. Um, Chodov is his name got a great, great testimony, great, a great history, uh, Jewish, uh, Jewish man that just, uh, you know, has a great connection with uh, Christians United for Israel. He will be here tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, and this is really open to the community. There will be, you know, our Jewish brothers and sisters from the community will be here. Um, other churches, other pastors and other churches will be here. I encourage you to come. Uh, there'll be uh, refreshments and uh, starts at 7 o'clock. I think it goes for about an hour and a half. There'll be a Q&A session right at the end of that. So you've got questions about what's going on in Israel right now. Um, just, you know, I, I, this may be a little premature, but 2015, I, I just really feel in my spirit that the year 2015 is going to be different. It's going to be a different year. I believe that God is call, calling the church to rise up to the next level. Some of you have been you know, if you, if you did a, you know, Paul tells the church at Corinth, he says, I want you to examine yourself and see, see, he's asking them, see if you're still even in the faith. But I'm asking you to see where you are in the faith. You know, have you been in the same place for a long time? Has your life changed at all? Has there been any growth? Is there any hunger, any thirst in your, in your life for the word of God, for righteousness, for prayer? Uh, you know, if not, that you know, 2015 and what you know, some of the programs that we're going to start in 2015, I believe are going to help you. And it's called, you know, we're rising up to the next level. And with that, we're going to start some home groups. And uh, you know, if you're willing to host a home group, um, you know, if you're willing to teach a home group, you know, let us know. Let our leadership know. We'll get you plugged in. Uh, we've already got, I think, probably about a half a dozen, maybe eight. Uh, we are working on a Santa Fe County map that shows where the different home groups are, home group leaders and telephone numbers so that you can call and, and make sure you get connected. That's going to happen. We've got some teachings that are going to go on first in January, and the home groups will probably kick off in February, maybe mid-February. Uh, and really, the, you know, the part of that comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10. 
where the Lord, where Paul's writing through the church at, at Ephesus, and he says, this is what God has done. He says that God has given us gifts, and these gifts come in this form. They come in the form of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. And he says he's given those five ministry gifts. Why does he say he gives those to us? He says he's given us those to equip the saints, that would be you, so that the saints can do the work of the ministry. Now, you know, I know that many times, I mean, I've been, I've been there. I've been right there where you are right now, just thinking, Lord, I don't know what to do. Just tell, God, if you just tell me what to do, I'll do it. I'm willing. I'm willing to do whatever you tell me to do. But I don't know what to do. And so some of you need, you know, just a little urge. You need a little encouragement. We're going to try to help you find your place. Um, I like the, the video about just honoring those uh, that have uh, given their lives and are currently serving in our nation uh, for Veterans Day. And maybe some of you uh, heard this news announcement this last week where President Obama awarded the Medal of Honor to a soldier who stayed at his post under fire 151 years ago. How many of you heard that story? 151 years ago. Lieutenant Alonzo Cushing was just 22 years old commanding an artillery battery during the final day. It's the last day of the war at Gettysburg. And he gives his life on the last day of the war. And uh, there were a lot of men that were saved as a result of what, you know, Alonzo Cushing did, giving his life. Saved a lot of men. And with that, I want to uh, just leap into spiritual heroes. Those that laid down their life so that you and I could be saved. And, you know, the Bible only mentions the death or the martyrdom of two of the apostles. There are other men in the Bible that are martyred, but I'm talking about just of the twelve. The death of two of them. One was James. Remember James and John? They were called the sons of thunder. James was uh, beheaded by Herod Agrippa in 44 AD. And Judas Iscariot took his own life. Two apostles died, recorded in the New Testament. Um, but then we have a whole list, and this is what church history says about the others. In 45 AD, the apostle of the Lord, James the apostle of the Lord, he was the second recorded uh, martyr after Christ's death. Stephen was the first martyr. His death was recorded in Acts 12. It says that Herod Agrippa killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Peter uh, you remember in, uh, at the end of John's gospel, Jesus says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, you were young and used to dress yourself and you used to walk wherever you wanted to. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and another will carry you to a place that you don't want to go. He said this to show what kind of death that he was going to glorify God with. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow, follow me. According to church history, Peter thought himself unworthy to be crucified in the same manner as his master, Jesus, and he asked to be crucified head downward. Andrew, 
who introduced his brother Peter to Christ, was martyred six years after Peter, after preaching Christ's resurrection to the Scythians. Uh, he too was crucified for his faith. Hippopolis uh, uh, tells us Andrew was hanged on an olive tree in a town of Achaia. Philip was martyred in 54 AD. Remember, Philip was the one that asked, Lord, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. And Jesus said, I have been with you so long, Philip, and you still don't know me. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say to us, show, the, show us the Father? Philip saw the glory of Christ after the resurrection and was undoubtedly amazed at Christ's response to his request. request. Philip evangelized in Phrygia, where hostile Jews had him tortured and crucified. Matthew, the tax collector, desperately wanted Jews to accept Christ. He wrote the gospel according to Matthew years before his death. Within its pages, you can see the faith for which he spilled his blood. In Matthew 28, 20, the resurrected Christ says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And these must have been comforting words and likely sustained Matthew when he was beheaded. Nathaniel, Bartholomew, martyred 70 A.D., whose name means the gift of God, was truly given a gift to the church through his martyrdom. In John chapter 1, verse 49, Nathaniel was the first to profess that Christ, profess Christ. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. He later paid for this profession through a hideous death. Unwilling to recant his proclamation of a risen Christ, he was flayed and then he was crucified. James the Lesser was martyred. He was being beaten to death with a fuller's club after a fall. James was the appointed head of the church at Jerusalem for many years after Christ's death. He undoubtedly came in contact with many hostile Jews who in Matthew 27 said, all of the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. To force James to deny Christ's resurrection, these men positioned him atop of the temple in Jerusalem. Unwilling to deny what he knew to be true, James was cast down from the temple and finally beaten to death with a fuller's club to the head. Simon the Zealot, uh, martyred 74, or the Zealot, martyred 74 AD. Simon was a Jewish zealot who strived to set people free from the Roman oppression. After he saw with his own eyes that Christ had been resurrected, he became a zealot for the gospel. Historians tell of the many places that Simon proclaimed the good news of Christ's resurrection in Egypt, Cyrene, Africa, uh, Britain, Libya, Persia. His martyrdom brought about by a governor in Syria verified his testimony that Christ had indeed been raised from the dead. Judas Thaddeus, martyred 72 AD. How do you show yourself to us and not to the world? After he witnessed Christ's resurrection, Judas knew the answer. He preached the risen Christ in the middle of a pagan priest in Mesopotamia. He was eventually beaten to death with sticks, showing to the world that Christ was indeed the Lord and God. Matthias, you remember Matthias in Acts chapter 1 verse 26 recorded how Matthias replaced Judas Iscariot, the betrayer of Christ, who hanged himself as the twelfth apostle of Christ. They cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. He was numbered with the eleven. Matthias is believed to be one of the seventy sent out with Christ during his earthly ministry. It says he was later stoned and hanged upon a cross because of his testimony for Jesus. John 
the Apostle John. John is the only one of the 12 apostles who died a natural death. Although he did not die a martyr's death, he did live a martyr's life. He was exiled to the Isle of Patmos during the reign of uh, Domitian for his proclamation of the risen Christ. It was there that he wrote the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and some traditions say that he was thrown into boiling oil uh, before the Latin gate. Why this didn't kill him, it likely scarred While it didn't kill him, it likely scarred him for life. And finally, the Apostle Paul. Paul was a self-confessed persecutor of the Christian faith, as he states in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Paul was brought to repentance as he traveled to, to, to Damascus, ironically went on his way to arrest those uh, who held to Jesus' resurrection. Paul stated as the greatest skeptic, but started as the greatest skeptic, but spent the rest of his life proclaiming Christ he once persecuted. Paul met his death at the hand of the Emperor Nero when he was beheaded in Rome. And so at this point, there's only three options for the explanation of these apostles' belief. Number one, they died for something that they knew was a lie. They were delusional or crazy, or they were right, and they did witness Christ risen from the dead. We pick up in Luke, uh, a little background here. We are probably less than, we are in Luke chapter 21, but we are probably less than 48 hours from uh, Jesus' crucifixion. Um, they still have to keep the Passover. Jesus still has to be betrayed uh, by the religious leaders, turned over to the Romans to be beaten and scourged and crucified buried, and then raised from the dead. But we pick up in verse 5. It says some of the disciples, they were coming. Jesus, remember that last week he would go out to the uh, Mount of Olives uh, by night. He would spend the night uh, near there and then come back into the temple area and teach during the day. And as they were coming out of the temple, some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. And Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. And teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the signs that are about to take place? And so they are marveling about the beauty of the temple. They come out, they ask these questions. When is this temple going to be destroyed? What are the signs of your coming? And, um, and then Jesus answers a question that they didn't ask. What are not signs? And he answers that in uh, this, this passage of Scripture. Matthew tw chapter 24 is a parallel Scripture, but Luke is the most detailed chapter on what we call uh, eschatology, which simply just means the study of end times. This is the most detailed chapter on end times that's written in the New Testament. And uh, Jesus tells about, he, talk, he, he talks about, about this. They wanted to know what were the signs, what was going to happen, when was it, you know, the, the temple, how, what was this going to look like when the temple was going to be destroyed? And uh, there, I, I have to just say that when you're reading this, it's, it's kind of like you're getting uh, questions. If you've ever had someone come up to you and say, they, they might say, you know, haven't seen you for a while. How's it, how's it going? How's the family going? How's work going? And you might not answer the questions in the way that they asked them. You might answer the last question first, you know. 
and then answer the second question, and then the first question. Politicians are really good at this. They may be asked three or four questions. The question that they don't want to answer, they answer last. It gives them time to think about it so they can answer the first and easy question first. All right, and so, you know, but Jesus does this. He, he, he doesn't answer, in Luke's gospel anyway, he doesn't answer the questions in the order that they were asked. And in Matthew's gospel, he does. And so if you're trying to read the two in parallel, in a parallel, it can get a little bit confusing because, you know, sometimes Jesus is talking about the end of the age to begin with in Luke's gospel, and he's talking about, you know, the destruction of the temple in Matthew's gospel. So just keep that in mind as you're, as you're reading this. But they wanted to know about the destruction of the temple, and... Um, and he goes on to say, he says that, uh, in verse 8, watch out that you're not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming that I am he. Well, that, we know that that didn't happen right away. That didn't happen. We've seen that happen recently. We've seen in, you know, probably the last 15 or 20 years, men that have, stay, have stepped up and said that they're the Messiah. They're the new Messiah. They're Jesus in, incarnate. They're Jesus in the flesh because Jesus said he was coming back, and now they're proclaiming to be Jesus. But Jesus said, watch out that you're not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming that I am he. Uh, he says, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. See, these are, these are not necessarily signs of his coming. Uh, these are just signs. These are, these are signs that happen. You know, I mean, we, I mean, as long as we've been alive, we've heard of wars. We've heard of, you know, uh, death by pestilence and, and uh, you know, all of these things that are happening all over the world right now, these plagues, these epidemics, Ebola, all of these things that are happening, the AIDS that are ha happened in the last 30, 40 years, things that we had, had you didn't hear of, you know, 40, 50 years ago. It says, when you hear of wars and revolutions, don't be frightened. All of these things must happen, but the end will not come right away. And then he says, now he's starting to talk about, now here's what, here's what you look for when the end is, get, is get, getting close. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. We've seen that. We saw, you know, in early 1900s, World War I. Then we saw in the, in the 40s, World War II. Uh, I mean, this, this is the type of, you know, global calamity, global wars that he's talking about. He says, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. He says, there will be great earthquakes and famines. There's always been great earthquakes and famines in various places, fearful events and great signs from heaven. So, but when we think about what he's talking about here, he's talking about, you know, on a, you know, a, an unprecedented scale, stuff that you're seeing that you've never seen before or you've never heard of before. Now, we know in the book of Revelation, uh, our men's uh, prayer group is reading through the book of Revelation right now. I think they're in, I, you know, I believe they're in chapter 6, maybe in chapter 6. Um, but in chapter 6, even if they're not there, if you want to read the type of scale that, you know, that, that Jesus is talking about here, there's going to be great earthquakes and famine and pestilence. Well, the Bible says when we start reading Revelation chapter 6, and this is the, you know, the apocalypse, the four horsemen, in uh, Revelation chapter 6, the fourth, uh, the fourth horseman um, talks about death and, you know, plague and, and, and about famine. You know, it talks about, you know, just uh, all of this death. It talks about uh, the possibility of one-third, now just think about this, one-third of the world being destroyed. And by the time that you get to the middle of Revelation, 
over half of the world population has been destroyed. Now, we've not seen anything. None of the wars that we've been through, nothing has been on a scale equal to that. And in addition to that, in addition to about half the world being wiped out, it says that there's going to be war. It says, and uh, it says, talking about these, uh, you know, death and famine and plague and all of these are contributing to what Jesus is talking about here, great earthquakes and famines and pestilence in various places. On a scale like we've never seen it before, he's saying that when you start to see these things, when, when that generation starts to see these things, you know that the end is very near. And then he says, and the sun will become black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon will become like blood. See, this is written in the book of Revelation, chapter 6. That's verse 12. He says, And the stars of the heaven fell to earth as a fig tree. Now, who's the fig tree referred to in the Bible? Help me out here. Come on. Israel. All right, fig tree is Israel. He says, And when it's shaken like by a mighty wind, and the sky recedes as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island is moved out of its place. You know, this, this is the type that Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the end. So what, what, what are the signs going to be at the end? He says, you know, when we're talking not about the rapture, but when Jesus is coming back. Prior to Jesus coming back, this is the kind of things that you're going to see or the world's going to see. Hopefully the church will not see that. I believe that the church will be, you know, raptured up and out of, out of here uh, prior to that. But he says, he goes on to say, but before all of this, now he talked about the end first, but he says, but before all of this, before the end, so he starts at the end, and now he moves back to the beginning. Not just to the beginning, he moves back to where in time he's talking to the disciples. And he says, before all of this, they will lay hands on you, disciples, the apostles, you twelve, Guys that I'm talking to right now, this is what he's saying. They will deliver you into synagogues and into prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors and on, a, on account of my name. This will result... Now listen to this. This is important. I'm going to cover it in just a moment. This, you're, you're being brought before governors and kings and queens will result in you being witnesses for them. Now what kind of witnesses is it? You know, why, why does God send out witnesses? Well, in some cases, it's so men and women will repent and, you know, turn from their wicked ways and turn to the Lord with all of their heart. And in other cases, it's so that men and women are without excuse. God is sending these apostles, these prophets, to these, these kings and queens and governors and rulers so that they can't say, well, we never heard this. We, you know, we don't know what you're talking about. We never heard about a Jesus. We never heard about a resurrection. But he says, before all of these things, they will lay hands on you, and they will deliver you to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors on account of my name. And this will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself. This is kind of interesting because Jesus is telling the disciples on the Mount of Olives, he's telling them, don't make up your mind what you're going to say, how you're going to talk about it. And by the time you get to 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, Peter was right there with them when he's saying, don't make up your mind how you're going to address these kings and queens and governors. And when you get to 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, hey, I want all of you to be ready to give an answer for those that ask 
best for you. So you need to be thinking about it. So the difference is, when you're talking, when God is sending these people, sending His apostles to the kings and queens as a, as a testimony to the resurrection of Christ, and you and I just dealing with regular people that, you know, that we believe that have a heart that want to receive Jesus Christ. And you need to be able to give them an answer for why you have this hope in you. And it's not just necessarily quoting the Bible and knowing all the Bible. It's simply just saying, you know what? And, I, you know, I don't have all the answers. But listen, this is what I can tell you. This is the way that I used to be. This is the way that I used to be. And Jesus Christ came into my life. And this is the way I am now. And see, people can argue doctrine with you all they want. I mean, they can argue doctrine and you can try to defend doctrine. They cannot argue what Jesus has done in your life. They can't argue that. I mean, it's a God thing. And it's what God has done for you. And so... Let me just kind of run through this, and I'm going to run through this. He says, before all this, they're going to lay hands on you, and they're going to persecute you, and they're going to deliver you into synagogues. So let me just give you some examples of this, because, you know, I know that you know it, but maybe you haven't connected the dots, okay, with your permission. All right, even without your permission, I'm going. I'm, I'm doing it. All right, all right. Here we go. First time, book of Acts chapter 6. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miracle signs among the people. I'm, sorry, I'm going to read it so fast, I'm going to sound like one of those disclaimers at the end of the... <laughs> All right. It says, But opposition arose from members of the synagogue, of the free men, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia. And these men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. See, he's getting, he, I mean, he's testifying to these guys, and they cannot resist it. And then we see Paul before Felix, who was well acquainted with the way. And uh, when Lysias, the commander, came in, he says, I will decide your case. And he ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard and to take care of his needs. And several days later, Felix came up with Drusilla, his wife, a Jewess, and he sent for Paul to listen to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. So here's an opportunity. They would have never gone to church. They would have never gone to a synagogue. But they're in a place where Paul is in prison and he has an opportunity to speak to them about a resurrected Christ. And then that was before Felix. And then we see Paul before Festus. Paul makes his defense. I've done nothing wrong against the law or the Jews or the temple or against Caesar and Festus discussed Paul's case with the king, and he said, there's a man here whom Felix left as prisoner. Now, i got to tell you, if you don't find humor in the Bible, if you can't find something funny in this story right here, I mean, you, you know, you better check your pulse, okay? Uh, he says, he goes on to say, he says, I told them that it's not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers as he has an opportunity to defend himself against their charge. And when they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. And when his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I expected. Instead, they had some point... Uh, some points of dispute with him about their own religion, about a dead man named Jesus, whom Paul claimed to be alive. And listen to what he says. I was at a loss how to investigate such a matter. It's like, seriously? You were at a loss to, to discuss this, to investigate a matter about the resurrection of the dead? Paul knew about it. you got to listen to this man. And then so, 
And then we see Paul before King Agrippa. And, and so Paul's given his defense, and he's laying out. He says, you know, people are just opposed to the way they're opposed to Christian. And Paul's telling the story. That's all he's doing. I mean, he's not quoting Scripture. Of course, it's Scripture to us today, but it wasn't Scripture then. He's just simply telling a story, guys. And that's all I'm asking you to do is tell your story. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem on the authority of the chief priest. I put many of the saints. Listen to what Paul did. You got a resume like this? I don't think you do. You think you've been bad? Have you been this bad? He said, I put many of the saints in prison and there they were put to death. I cast my vote against them. Many times I went from one synagogue to another and I had them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme in my obsession against them. I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. And on one of those journeys I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. And about noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I ask, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. The Lord replied, now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. And I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That's what the Word of God does. It turns people from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive a forgiveness of sins and a place among those that are sanctified in me. Don't you want your friends and your loved ones to receive that? Don't you want to see them turn from the power of Satan to power of God? Amen. Share your story. And then he goes on to say, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? See, I mean, this is exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus said, I'm going to send you before kings and queens and governors so that you can tell my story. And whether they believe it or not, you are telling the story. You've done your part. Now, I remember a friend of mine that, you know, he used to say one of his opening lines was, he says, he would say, do you believe that you have the right to reject the gospel message? And almost everybody he would talk to said, yes, I got the right to reject, uh, to reject it. And he says, well, that means that I've got the right to present it to you so you can reject it or reject it. And so, and then he would just start in right there. And so the king arose, and he says, what, uh, Paul replied, short time or long time, I pray God that not only you, but all that are listening to me today become what I am, except for these chains. And the king rose, and with him, the governor and Bernice, and those that were sitting with him, and they left the room, and while they were talking one to another, they said, this man has not done anything that deserves death or imprisonment, that he should have been released. But see, in the middle of that trial, Paul appealed to Caesar. He didn't want to stand trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin because he knew that they would condemn him. But he was a Roman citizen, and as a Roman citizen, he had rights, and he demanded to have his case heard before Caesar. Well, what that did is took him to the next level, and he got to make the same statement, same testimony about a resurrected Christ before Caesar. 
All right, so let's get back to our text. He says, and when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is nigh. Let those that are in Judea flee to the mountain. Let those that are in the city get out. Let those that are in the country not enter. For this is a time of punishment. For for this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women or nursing mothers. Now he's going back. He's going back. You know, he was at the end times, came back to you know, the current time with the disciples would happen, the destruction of the temple, and then he's moving back into the end again. He says, Jerusalem will fall by the sword, taken prisoners, Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars on the earth. The nations will be in anguish and perplexity, the roaring and the tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what's coming on the world, The heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming with clouds and great uh, power and glory. This is talking about the end times, just during the tribulation period. It says, when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. And he told them this parable, look at the fig tree and all of the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourself and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happen, these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near you. And I want to just tell you that, you know, Jesus talked about the destruction of the temple. They wanted to know about that. The year 70 AD, actually in, um, actually in the year 67, Jerusalem was surrounded by an army, the Roman army. Um, the, uh, the, the general's name was uh, Gaius. Um, and uh, he set this siege about Jerusalem. Uh, he was about to destroy the city when he got word that his supply lines were being overrun. There were a group of Jews that were attacking the supply lines. And just, you know, just a short time before he was able to invade the, invade the city, he had to withdraw, take his army, and go back and protect the supply lines. And it cost him several years of conquering the city. Um, and then there was a, a Roman commander that was raised up by the name of Titus in 70 A.D., and uh, Rome at that moment had been humiliated. You know, I mean, Rome, Rome's greatest army in the world, you know, the greatest army in the world, had been humiliated uh, by, because of this defeat. Titus comes in in 70 AD and overruns the city. And um, there was a window of opportunity. Now, Jesus says that when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the nations of the world, or when you see it encompassed by the nations. Let those that, you know, on the housetop, let them flee, let them go to the mountains. Or just think about it. You're in Jerusalem. Sometimes it took, you know, part of the modus operandi was to, to, um, to starve. You know, people in the city, you know, they had, a, they had food and water. But once the city was shut off, there was no more food, no more water. And after a period of time, uh, you know, you would just die. And you, know, you can read in the Old Testament where the siege at Samaria, the siege was so, de- so desperate that uh, women were eating their own children because uh, of, of desperation. And so uh, this, this was just how it worked in those days. But uh, so when, when and I, I just want you to just go back in time to 67 A.D., you're in the city. You've seen this Roman army there. They've surrounded the city. You know the supplies are getting low. And all of a sudden, the next morning you wake up, and the army is gone. And what do you think? What are you thinking? 
I mean, just honestly, what are you thinking? Are you thinking we won? Are you thinking that God did a miracle, we won? It's over? We can stay here, let's replenish the city? But see, if you read the Word of God, and you were obedient to the Word of God, if you had Luke's gospel there, and he says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by an army, let those that, you know, that are in the city flee to the mountains. So you could, you're thinking either one or two things. We won, or you know what? I'm, I'm, taking, I'm standing on the word of God. He says, when we see that, then we have an opportunity to flee. Let's flee. And those that did flee and went to the mountains, you know, they escaped. But just a short time later, here comes another Roman general to finish off the job. They said that 1.1 million Jews in that city lost their life. They, you know, they were either murdered or starved to death in 70 A.D. But those that listened to the word of God and fled to the mountains saved their life. All right, so he says, look at the fig tree. Now, guys, I, I just tell you, when I read this, I get chills up and down my my spine because you know he talks about Jesus said that not one stone he said I'm telling you not one stone will be up on another well what happened is that that the entire the entire temple area was made out of gold and so when Titus goes in they torch the entire city in torching the city it melted all of the gold all of the gold and I mean there I, I don't think that we can comprehend it, it probably would have been um designated as the eighth wonder of the world during that time, the temple at Jerusalem. Huge, huge, full of gold, gold and silver. When they torched the temple, all the gold melted and dripped down into the rocks. And that's why Jesus said, not one stone will remain upon another stone. So when Titus goes in, he says, dismantle it. Take every stone apart. Pick up every you know, ounce of gold. Put it over here in the king's treasury. And that's why every stone, he's, Jesus said, not one stone will remain upon this place. The, the, the disciples say, man, how beautiful is this place? And he said, I'm telling you something. You know, the time is coming. The time is coming when not one stone will remain. This thing is going to be desolate. It's going to be totally destroyed. And then he says, tells them a parable. He says, and so since 70 A.D., the Jews have been without a temple. And without a temple, the temple is where you would go to make your sacrifices, where you go to kill your lamb. So when you're celebrating the Passover, you take your lamb to the priest. The priest would kill the lamb, and you take that lamb home. And we'll talk about this next week a little bit more, about you know, the Passover meal and all of that. But, uh, but no temple, no sacrifice, no lamb to slaughter, because it had to be done there. And so it hasn't been done there. But so... So we see, and he says, that he says, look at the fig tree, which we know to be Israel. He says, and all the trees. He says, when they sprout leaves, all right, when you see them starting to come back alive again, alive again. So in 1948, from 70 A.D. to 1948, the Jews had been scattered all over the world. In 1948, they come back, and a nation is born. And I want to tell you that that is the sign of the budding of the fig tree. Where this, that this generation, that this generation right here, our generation. Now, it's kind of an interesting story because, and I, and I won't take the time to read the scripture. But in, in Matthew chapter 12, and I think in Luke chapter 11 and 12, 
he talks about this generation. He said that, you know, talking about those that rejected Jesus as Messiah, he says that if, 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 the, if the queen of, of, of Sheba, he says if the, if the sons of Nineveh were alive, he said they're going to rise up in judgment. He said the queen of Sheba, the sons of Nineveh are going to rise up against this generation, the generation that Jesus was living in when they rejected him as being Messiah. He said they are going to rise up in judgment against this generation because he said one greater than Jonah is here, one greater than Solomon is here, and you didn't even recognize it. This generation didn't recognize the Messiah. But then we, we read here, he said, I tell you that the generation that starts to see these things, that starts to see the fig tree bloom, which in 1948 we started to see, you know, I don't know, I'm, how many of you are gardeners and you have, uh, you know, or you got trees and stuff in, in your, you got, you got, everybody's got trees, right? You know, and, and like this time of year, our trees are starting to lose their leaves. And, you know, just like every tree in the yard looks like it's dead. You know, there's no leaves, nothing. It's just branches sticking up. And then, you know, and every year at the end of the year and, and the beginning of spring, you wonder, well, how many have made it through the winter? And you start to look, and, you know, if you're like me, I'm out there bending branches. The branches crackle and they snap. It's like, okay, this is done. And, uh, you know, this is just kind of like a little sideline that, you know, we, uh, this is a number of years ago, Jim, I, I love it when Jim's out of town because I can always tell great stories about him. They're down in Mexico Mission this weekend. But we went to, uh, we got permits to dig aspen trees up in the Pecos. And so I digged about 10 or 12, and he dug about 10 or 12. And, and uh, I go home and I plant mine, and I'm just like watering them. And, you know, and, and you know, his, he takes his home and he waters his. Well, we, we dug the trees the time of year, like in the, you know, early spring. They already had leaves on them. But when we got them home, it's like after a week or so, all the leaves just fell off. It was just like, you know. And so I just kind of kept watering mine. And he said, well, all the trees, all the leaves fell off. He quit watering his. Well, about two months later, all of my trees are alive. And they're healthy and they're growing. And I go over to his house and every tree is just like dead. He said, well, when the, when the leaves fell off, I stopped watering. Like, dummy. You know, they need the water. <laughs> all of mine lived, all of his died. <laughs> all right, so, but it's kind of like that. You know, when you see the leaves off, it's like, you know, you're thinking this thing is dead. But then in the spring, you look at the, leaf, you look at the tree, and then all of a sudden you see these tender little buds and stuff. And, and he's saying that look at the fig tree and all the trees, and when they sprout leaves, you can see yourself and you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happen, know that the kingdom of God is near. He said, I tell you that this generation, the generation that's seeing that, will not pass, but heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Amen. So, let me just wrap this up, okay? Um, he gets... And, and, and just really the last couple of verses, and Jacob, you may, may have to move forward, but it's just the last four or five verses that I want to I cover. Now, he, he starts talking about this, talking, he was talking about this, and it's a great morning in here for us, but he says, be careful. He's talking to the disciples then, he's talking to the church age, talking to the people at the end of the church age. He says, be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, with drunkenness and the anxieties of life, and that day will come upon you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all 
Everybody say all. It will come upon all those who live on the face of the earth. How many of you are living on the face of the earth this morning? Okay, all right. Some of you are. All right. It will come upon all of those that live on the face of the earth. What's going to come upon all of them? That your hearts are going to be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of this life. And so he says, always be on watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Uh, another translation, this is today's Living Bible, it says, watch out. Don't let, uh, don't, uh, don't let my sudden coming catch you unaware. Don't let me find you living careless, uh, uh, in careless ease, carousing and drinking, occupied with the problems of this life like the rest of the world. Keep a constant watch and pray that if it's possible that you may arrive in my presence without having to experience these horrors. And so he's saying, watch out for dissipation. Dissipation is a wasting. It's a misuse. You know, the dissipation of a fortune a mental distraction, a dissolute way of living, excessive drinking, a process in which energy is used or lost without accomplishing useful work. Listen to this. A process in which energy, your life, is used or lost without accomplishing useful work. I mean, we're all busy. We all have jobs. We all have things that we need to do. But we can spend that time. We've become so absorbed with our own lives that we put God on the back burner, and that's where he stays. Now listen from, from Ephesians. It says, don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work, uh, a barren uh, pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham that they are. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things they must do in darkness where no one else will see. Rip the cover off those frauds and see how attractive they look in the light of Christ. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the Master wants. Don't drink too much wine. Uh, that cheapens your life. Drink the Spirit of God. Huge, huge amounts of Him. Drink or uh, sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praise over everything. Uh, any excuse for a song to God the, in the Father's name, the name of our, our, our Master, Jesus Christ. I happened to call Ralph the other day, I was calling, he was driving to Albuquerque, and I asked him what he's doing, he said, man, I'm just driving down the road, I'm just praising God, I'm just singing praises to God, I'm excited about God, you know, uh, he just got a job, just got a promotion, we're excited for him, you know, uh, God is good for him. Uh, but we have, we, have a, we have a tendency to procrastinate, it reminds me of the story, remember, I, maybe I've shared this with you, and if I have, it's still a good story, um, about the, the, the kid that left home and, you know, graduated from high school, went to college and got married and, you know, had gone for a couple of years and they'd been back after about 15 or 20 years, his wife and him were up and he was up in the attic and going through some of the stuff that his mom had put away and he had a high school uh, sweater. It was a, his letter sweater for football and he put it on, first of all, to see if it would still fit. It was a little snug, but he stuck his hand in the pocket and in the pocket there was a receipt from a, a shoe cobbler. Uh, you know, it was like 20 years old, and he thought, hey, just for kicks, I'm just going to run down there and see, you know, what, what happened, you know, kind of get to reconnect with the guy. So he goes to the cobbler, presents the, re the receipt, and the cobbler looks at it, he says, I'll have those for you by next Friday. <laughs> you know, 
You know, guys, we procrastinate. We put God on the back burner. God doesn't want to wait till next Friday. He doesn't want to wait 20 years. He wants your life right now. He needs you now. He needs you right now. And so then he says, watch out for drunken, drunkenness. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that the day should surprise you like a thief. You are all the sons of light and the sons of day. We do not belong to the night or to darkness. So then let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. And church, I want to just tell you, there's a great need for, to be self-controlled in the church. I mean, we have a freedom. But God tells us, and Paul says, don't use that freedom uh, as a cloak for your sin. Don't, you know, just because, you know, he says, you know, shall we, shall we sin because grace abounds? He said, God forbid. We don't just go out and sin and live a, a crazy life because we have forgiveness to sin with Christ and because grace abounds. Ephesians 5.18, it says, don't get drunk on wine, which will only ruin you. Instead, be filled, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with words of psalms and hymns and sacred songs, singing hymns and psalms to the Lord with praise in your heart. And finally, he says, watch out for that disquieted, that uneasy, that angst, that worry, the anxieties of life. And what that means is, you know, we can, we can become so preoccupied with jobs and money and family and children and fear and, you know, fear of war and health. And, you know, I mean, there's just so much that's going on right now. I mean, I know that I, I, I see people all the time. They're, they're concerned. They're concerned about America, you know, becoming, you know, under attack. ISIS, afraid about war coming to America, afraid about, you know, uh, a shortage of food. Uh, there have been recent articles about, uh, you know, runs on grocery stores and, you know, will there be enough food? You know, you just look at recent uh, hurricanes over the last couple of years in Florida. It takes about six hours for a town to deplete a grocery store. I mean, absolutely wipe it out. Whether you walk in there and there's nothing left on the shelf. Uh, people are concerned about that. There were, can, people are concerned about health, Ebola. They're concerned about all of these other diseases that we may face. Concerned about their children. Concerned about their children going to school. Be bullying, being bullied in school. You know, all of these things that we're having to deal with. But Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. And we're going to cover that here in just a moment. He says, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor they reap. Uh, they don't have storehouses. They don't have barns. But God feeds them. Oh, uh, how much more value are you than the birds, which uh, of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glo glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink. Don't have an anxious mind. For all of these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you have needs of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God, and these things shall be added to you. And so, um, guys, I want to just say, let me just say in closing, that uh, what we need, what you need, is a Savior. And some of the problems that you have in your life, 
you've tried to fix and you've tried to fix and you just can't seem to get them fixed. I heard Tony Evans tell the story the other day. He was talking to me. He's a black pastor from Dallas area. And he was saying, I was taking a shower. And uh, he said, I was washing my hair and I got soap in my eyes. So he got soap in my left eye. He said, and I was trying to help myself. So I reached down with my right eye to get the soap out of my left eye. And I got soap in my right eye because I was trying to help myself, but I couldn't. And so he said, I reached for the towel. He says, when I reached for the towel, I bent over and hit my head on the soap dish. And he said, I was trying to help myself because I had soap in my left eye and soap in my right eye and a bump on my head because I was trying to help myself, but I couldn't help myself. And he says, when I hit the soap dish, the soap fell in the bathtub. And he says, and I stepped on the soap, and I tore the shower curtain down and fell down in the bathtub because I was trying to help myself, because I had soap in my left eye and soap in my right eye and a bump on my head and a bad back because I was trying to help myself, and I couldn't. And some of you are trying to help yourself this morning, and you can't. You need Jesus. You need Jesus in your life.